there's an unofficial lineage port up there for it, but I'm uh, always a little leery about unlocking the bootloader and going through the process. I'm not really <laughs> keen with phones. I have bricked phones in the past. I have as well. <laughs> yeah, the HTC HD2, because of the, the different versions that came out, it had a whole bunch of different radios. Yeah, and if there's a wrong version out there, I'll find it. <laughs> Welcome to Midcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. I'm Joe, and it's starting to get cold here again. Hi, this is Tony, and I'm boosted. Seeking the fountain of package availability, I'm Norbert. And now, with 17% more verbosity, I'm Josh. This is episode 374.5, recorded on Sunday, the 14th of November. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. In our innards section, um, we were originally planning on doing LPIC, but that fell through. So now we're going to talk about the phones we've had in the past. Yes, it's a backup topic. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. But um, now in our innards, it's all about our smartphones of the past and things we've had and whether or not those phones are still usable. So this is a backup topic. Yes, we had something much more Linux-based initially, but that fell through. It happens sometimes. Now we get to talk about smartphones, something we all love to talk about. My, my first smartphone was a Samsung Behold 2, and I hated it. And not necessarily because it was a bad phone. Yeah, it wasn't that great. I think it was like Android 2.2 or something. Or no, Android 1, and then it was supposed to get the upgrade to 2, which was one of the selling points when um, T-Mobile was selling it. And then Samsung changed their mind and decided not to give it the update. And that really bothered me. And then, you know, I tried to get T-Mobile to do something about it, but they wouldn't stand by the product that they sold. So whatever. But after that, I had the um, HTC Dash. Now, I can't remember if it was a Dash. I think it was a Dash. And I think I also had the Dash 2 for a little while, which was a BlackBerry knockoff, but it was pretty awesome. And it w that one was running uh, Windows. So I had moved away from Android for a little while and I was using Windows. And yeah, it was a candy bar style. And yeah, it didn't have a touch screen or anything like that. Still very useful, still very cool. It did have web browsing, but it definitely was not that great. Now, after that, um, it, was, I, it wasn't very costly at the time, but I ended up getting the, and there might have been some phones in between. These are the, just the memorable ones for me. I got the HTC HD2, which is the most modded phone ever. And it was just really awesome being able to put whatever operating system on there that I wanted. Basically, the bootloader was unlocked and everything was available. It started out as a Windows Mobile um, 
6.5 phone, I think, 6.0, 6.5, which was like when Windows Mobile started not being as good. And then it did get the, I believe it did get the update to 7, which not really a fan of. And then um, I think it missed out on 8, but uh, somebody created a mod for it, so it would run 8. Um, the other thing about that phone is that the, the base operating system came with uh, the Transformer movie. Uh, Transformers, I believe it was the first movie, might have been the second movie. It's a long time ago. But um, that phone, it, it, like I said, it came with Windows Mobile, but almost immediately someone came out with a, a way to install Android on it. And um, also a way to install Linux on it. And I, I believe it went all the way up to like Android 7.0 that they were installing on it. And then somebody got like Windows NT or 98 or something running on it. Ubuntu was running on it. Um, what uh, Windows RT was running on it, the tablet operating system. The last development I really saw on it was all the way up until 2016. And that phone came out, I think, in like 2009. But um, yeah, it was a great phone. I used it until I really couldn't anymore. It was really a hardware limitation. The uh, 500 megabytes of RAM, which was the maximum, was really that cutoff there for me. It just got to be slow and unusable. And then after that, I went back to Samsung again and had the uh, S3, which is a great phone. And if you can still find one that's working, it still is. It still has its uses. Uh, my son is currently using one now. Um, I, I use that phone until it died. I've had actually several. Um, they're smaller devices, but they ran well and did everything I needed. Um, it, it's still good today as an MP3 player. And my, my son also occasionally uses it for uh, Wi-Fi calling and messaging. He plays a couple of games on it. Granted, it's a much older version of Android, and I haven't gone on to XDA to see what other operating systems are available for it if there's a more modern operating system for it and i'm not overly worried about it considering what he's using it for i'm not planning on putting it on a network or anything and he just uses it over wi-fi and it's really good for that and if i needed a separate mp3 player as opposed to my phone i'd probably get something like that and just put a large micro sd card in it whatever the largest is i think 128 gig or something but then after the s3 i got the note 3 and i used that for a really long time and that was a great phone too it still had the user replaceable battery which is why i kept it so long because after that all the phones started coming out and you couldn't just you know swap out the dead battery for a charged one right away and that was a big problem, at least for me at the time. And the fact that uh, a lot of them were moving away from having a micro SD card. Now the note three, I did the, like, you know, usually I'll use a phone for a while before I, I mod the operating system, but that one, three days after I got it, I modded the operating system. I put a custom, um, operating system on there specifically because at that time, Google had made it so that you couldn't access the, uh, micro SD card directly with the stock ROM. So I replaced the ROM and was able to use it the way that I wanted to for audiobooks. And that's that's why I did that with that one at that time. Really good device. I ended up giving that to my daughter and I think it's still sitting over here somewhere and it's kind of falling apart after all this time. It doesn't like charging through the port, but I was able to get a, um, one of the, the little cards that you can slide in the back and hook up to the ports back there so that you can charge it wirelessly. 
And then, you know, it still has the micro SD card slot. So that's useful. But um, like the, um, I think the 3.5 millimeter jack on that one is going, but it is an extremely old phone. The screen's still good, but it's a little jittery on how it runs, but it kind of got put through the ringer. And then after that, I got the S7. And now I still use that for some things. I, I still have it, but the, the ports are getting a little bit old. The 3.5 millimeter jack doesn't work. And the um, USB connection is a bit wobbly. But um, I will use that sometimes with a droid cam and just use that as my webcam instead of using a regular webcam because a lot of my webcams are older and it just works better. It is really good for that. It's once it's not the greatest camera, but it's still better than what I have. And it's still a really good working phone. And it's also my backup in case something happens to my Note 10 Plus, which is what I currently run. And I love the Note 10 Plus. It is, um, it's not quite as top end as a lot of the notes from the past, with all the bells and whistles. I mean, it doesn't have the VR options or anything like that, which they stopped doing right when the Note 10 came out. But um, it does have 256 gig of internal memory, which I think is the lowest that came in that series because the highest was like 500 gig or a terabyte or something. And it will take, uh, I think, up to like a two terabyte micro SD card, which I don't even think there's any on the market right now. But a one terabyte micro SD card would be fine. But I haven't needed to put a micro SD card in it at all because I have not used up the 256 gig that's in there. And that's much more stable than um, a micro SD card that, you know, I, I would go out and buy and put in. So I'm quite happy using the internal memory for that. And really good phone, nice size screen, looks good. Um, I probably will upgrade one day. Maybe it won't be to the next, uh, Samsung. Maybe I'll try out something like the, um, one, one of the gaming phones that comes out with like insane specs and active cooling and it still costs a thousand dollars less than a top end Samsung phone. Cause the, the fold three, which is nice looking, um, is $2,000 and that's a big nope for me. So my kids have used a lot of S3s as well. Going back to the S3 still, like I said, I think you can get those for like 30 to $50. If I were traveling overseas or something, and I was worried about, uh, taking my regular phone with me, I'd buy an S3, I'd buy a SIM card while I was abroad. And I would just use that and be perfectly fine with it for whatever time frame. And then when I got home, it'd become an MP3 player for one of my kids or something. So a lot of really good devices in the past. And that's not even bringing up like, uh, I know yesterday we talked a lot about um, PDAs. My favorite PDA of all time still has to be the Dell Axum X51V, but that came out with, you know, the good version of Windows Mobile, which was um, 6.0 and below or 6.1 and below or something to that effect. And I just loved the back catalog of applications that you could manually install and find for the entire Windows Mobile ecosystem. And that was incredible. And then 6.5 just made all of that obsolete. But uh, yeah, that, that's really all I've got, unless you guys got any questions about any of that. Uh, I was just going to ask, because uh, I'm going to be talking about it in a minute, have you tried Ubuntu uh, Touch on any of those? 
No, I do have that uh, Pine phone, and I will probably try to put Ubuntu Touch on that. But no, I have not put Ubuntu Touch on... Well, no, I might have actually put Ubuntu Touch on the HD2, but that was a... I don't know how long ago that was. That was an extremely long time ago, so it would have been an early version of Ubuntu Touch, and I don't remember it working that well. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, I first got into the smartphone-owning uh, sphere back in 2013. I had had a play with a, a smartphone that uh, someone gave me a very, very early um, Google phone. It was only a two-and-a-half-inch phone. I can't remember the, even the name of it now, but it was uh, it was really old, and it only had 512 uh, mega RAM uh, and very, very low storage. I think it was about 8. Eight gig of storage, so it was. Uh, it might even been uh, even lower than that, but uh, for some reason I can't remember the name of it. And I know I did pass that on to someone in the lug so that they could have a play with it. But the first one I actually bought in February two thousand and thirteen was the Nexus Four, and that was a great proper induction into the smartphone experience. But uh, by October. 2014 it was starting to feel a bit restricted i've got quite big hands and it was a really small screen uh on it so i decided to jump onto the one plus one bandwagon and at a time one plus one in the uk they were selling their phones uh, at really low price for the hardware spec i managed to pick up the original one plus one for 299 pounds here in the uk which for a premium it was a premium phone at a mid mid-range price at the time and i love that phone five and a half inch screen i think it only had a couple of uh mega, mega ram but um it at the time it felt really snappy storage wasn't anything to talk about it only had 64 gig of storage but no expansion so you you had to live with what you got couldn't stick an sd card in it but the disadvantage for me on the network I was using was it didn't have 4G. And when 4G became a thing around about mid mid to late 2017, I decided to go for a, a 4G phone that would work on my network. Uh, and I bought a Nokia 6. And that was a that's a really that was a really good phone. The only problem was I'd not had it very long. I think I'd had it about just under a year, and I dropped it and smashed the screen. Um, and that's when the uh, P20 Lite came from Josh to replace it. Like I said in the uh, at the beginning of the show, you know. Uh, but uh, I really like that phone. That was a that was a six inch screen. It was a really nice phone. Really responsive. Four gig of RAM. Uh, Again, it was only 64 mega, uh, gigabytes of uh, internal storage on that one, but it did have uh, an SD card. Um, you could either put two SIMs in it or it uh, you could use one of the slots for an SD card. So uh, uh, I think it went all the way up to 128 uh, gig SD card, so you could expand it quite well. So there was plenty of storage options on that phone. And like I say, unfortunately, it got dropped and and got replaced with the uh, P20 Lite, which I've used up until this last week. The P20 Lite, it's a nice little uh, Huawei machine, a <laughs> little, uh, you know, smartphone. Um, 
did everything I wanted, uh, came to my rescue and the other one got dropped. Uh, and because it was an older phone, it didn't uh, cost me an arm and a leg to, you know, to get it. But um, it stopped getting updates. Um, I think the, the it froze at uh, Android 9. And like I said earlier, it stopped getting uh, security updates around about last October, November time. So uh, I was starting to get to the stage where I was a bit worried about security and stuff like that. So I decided, and the other thing was it wasn't 5G compatible. So uh, although we don't have 5G around here at the moment, it will be coming at some stage. So uh, I thought I'd, my next phone would definitely have to be a 5G phone. So this week I went back and uh, got myself a Nokia X20, which is uh, talked about earlier. And it is absolutely huge, but... Um, it's got it's got guaranteed updates of uh, Android uh, for a minimum of three years, uh, and they're saying in the blurb that it should get all the way up to Android fourteen before they they stop issuing uh, updates for it. Um, so the current it's just out. Obviously, at the moment it's got Android eleven on it um, because they haven't run out the the update to Android 12. I know Android 12 has only just started appearing on Google devices in the last month. So it'll probably take around Christmas, maybe early New Year before it gets updated to Android 12. But that's great. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to working with that for at least two or three years, possibly longer. Um, but with my other phones, the Nexus 4 and the uh, OnePlus One, for a while, I ran uh, Lineage on them both. Well, the Nexus 4 actually became my wife's daily driver for a couple of years before she got a Nokia, which she, she got the Nokia 6.1. Uh, I bought it uh, as a birthday present a couple of years ago, and uh, she's been running that happily. And uh, I, when, I, when she gave me the uh, Nexus 4 back, I'd already installed Linea Lineage on the OnePlus One and ran that up to uh, Lineage 16. And then for some reason, I wasn't able to upgrade it to Lineage 17. Uh, it it wouldn't take the upgrade for some reason. I couldn't get it to work. So I actually ended up putting uh, Ubuntu Touch on it a few months ago. And uh, when we started talking about what we were going to do on the show tonight, I actually dug them both out because the uh, the Nexus has now got a uh, Ubuntu Touch on it as well. And I've been having a play with them the last uh, 24 hours to see how they are. And I actually uh, uh, stuck a new SIM card in the OnePlus. And, the you know, I've heard people say, oh, the phone doesn't work properly and all that. Well, I can say the phone, it makes phone calls and it receives phone calls. So <laughs> it is possible to use it as a daily driver for phone calls. Software-wise, Ubuntu Touch is still very limited. A lot of the apps on it are um, web-based, so you do need a an always-on data connection to use a lot of the apps which obviously uh, limits uh, its use if you're out of Wi-Fi range and don't have um, a great data allowance on your, on your network, although that tends to be getting a lot better these days. Uh, I've still got the problem is it um, on my network it won't uh, do 4G, but uh, I could put a different network card in it and get 4G on it. 
But uh, yeah, I've, I've, over the years, the phones I've had, I've really enjoyed using. Uh, I think my favourite of the lot of them, even though I've just got this next, uh, this um, Nokia, I think the OnePlus was probably the f uh, one that I really enjoyed the most. Uh, and it's a real shame that it's, you know, that technology moves on so fast because, uh, you know, and the fact that OnePlus now have made all their phones so expensive, I wasn't able to kind of follow them through and keep with them. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with mobile phones. I'm, I might talk about uh, Ubuntu Touch uh, a bit more when uh, 2004 drops, because I know they're working on it at the moment. So when the updates to 2004 come, I'll see what the uh, improvements are in it and maybe talk about that on a show at some stage. So uh, that's about all for me. Uh, what about you, Norbert? I've just been thinking about being able to swap the battery to a charge one again. When Joe mentioned it. <laughs> it would be so great to be able to do that again. No, for the longest time, that, that is why I would not move away from the Note 3, was simply because I could take out the battery and put in a new one. I don't I do know why they changed that. Because they didn't want third parties making batteries, one. And two, it's a whole lot easier to waterproof a phone that's completely sealed. So yeah, that's the reasoning behind it. I would take swappable batteries above water protection any day. Oh yeah. My first ever phone phone, so not a smartphone, was a Nokia 5110, on which it was so easy to swap the battery. And it would be great, because I don't think I've ever had a smartphone that had a swappable battery. And my very first smartphone was a bit of an odd one, because my last not smartphone was a Nokia uh, Express Music. I don't know the specific model, but somewhere around 2010, I made an impulse purchase, and I got myself my very first technically smartphone, which was an Eonode N2. It had a whopping 2-inch screen, a 2-inch touchscreen, it had no buttons, it was the size of an MP3 player, it had a modified version of Windows Mobile on it. And the screen itself was a very interesting gimmick. It was a touchscreen without being a touchscreen. It had an infrared grid above the screen, so it would be able to sense if you tap the screen. And it was also able to sense uh, which way you would swipe on the screen, but it wouldn't be able to tell where exactly you would tap the screen. So you would have to select the menu entries by swiping up and down and left and right, and you would just tap the screen anywhere to get into the selected menu. It also had a little joystick at the bottom, uh, next to two holes, which I assume were for harnesses. So it was a really small, tough phone, a dura durable phone. And when I say it was running a modified version of Windows Mobile, I mean it had a really modified, I guess a sort of watered-down version of Windows Mobile, because it really looked and felt like a feature phone, not a smartphone. And it was a very interesting, unique concept, and I just was very curious about it. So I think I only had a few months with it, after which I managed to sell it to someone who was really interested in the same model, and that was when I got my first... Well, the Neonode was a phone, but not really smart. My second device was smart, but not really a phone, because I went back to my uh, Nokia feature phone, and I got myself an iPod Touch 4, which was, you know, at the time, everyone was going crazy about the Retina display, and one of my friends had an iPod Touch 3, so I was really interested in that concept, and they were also way more affordable than iPhones where I lived, and I, I didn't really need mobile data at the time, so I just went with the Wi-Fi only. 8 gigabyte model, so the cheapest model of the iPod Touch. 
that was what the nice thing about some of the the iPods at the time, the the smart iPods, was that you could turn them into like Wi-Fi phones, and you could do Wi-Fi messaging with them. And um, uh, at that time, I think you could still I- install Skype on them, and so they were interesting to use, and you could use them like a smartphone. The main thing I was using any smart device for was listening to music, and it was perfect for it. Until I started experimenting with lossless formats and I realized how little I could fit of that on an 8GB device. So eventually I moved to the Sony Xperia SP, which was my first Android device ever. It came out in 2013 and I bought one in 2014. I had the habit of buying phones that are at least one year old because that's where the price goes down substantially to a more reasonable price point. And well, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was just a phone. It had a 4.6 inch screen, an 8 megapixel camera, 1 gigabyte of RAM, so it was a pretty standard mid-range phone at the time. But eventually it got really slow, and around a year later I made another impulse purchase, which was the Sony Xperia Z Ultra. So I really liked the Sony phones at the time, which were the new uh, not non-Ericsson Sony Xperia phones. This was an odd one, because the Sony Xperia Z Ultra was a 6.4 inch phone. So it had a 6.4 inch screen, which was way ahead of its time. Nowadays a 6 plus inch screen is pretty normal, but this was a 16 by 9 screen, which meant it wasn't as tall, but it was really wide. And it also had quite big bezels, and I do have it in my hand. It's basically a really big brick. I think it was my first phone that had a glass back. It's one of the nicest looking phones i ever seen. It had that signature squared down exterior design, and it was really big, it was like, a, it looks like you could boil an egg on it, basically. But it was also very thin. And it's not something you would want to hold up to next to your face while making a phone call, but I also managed to get a little Sony Bluetooth handset that was specific, not specifically for this phone, but it was recommend for, recommended to be used with this phone, because then I would be able to pick up the phone call on the handset and I wouldn't have to put up this large brick to my face. But it was really useful because at the time I didn't have a tablet and I was able to learn for my uh, high school final exams on this uh, phone. And then a year later I got my Samsung Galaxy S2 tablet, the 9.7 inch one, and that was when I realized that I didn't really need this large phone anymore, but I still kept it for around one and a half years. So the tablet itself came into the picture when I started university and realized how many uh, I would either have to go with a tablet or have to print out a lot of materials that we get. Because thankfully we didn't really have to buy a lot of books, but we were receiving a lot of PDFs and uh, notes from the teachers. But unless I wanted to print like hundreds of pages each week, it was just very convenient to get a tablet. And I have to say that the AMOLED screen really spoiled me. To the point where after I replaced my Sony Xperia Z Ultra with the Sony Xperia X Compact, which wasn't an AMOLED phone, but I got it second hand and it had some issues, and I think I only used it for less than a year, I ended up moving away completely from Sony phones because, because that was around the time where they started to be not that good, especially the compact phones, which were supposed to be a non-compromise uh, scaled-down versions of the Sony flagships, but they started releasing them with the lower-spec hardware than the flagship ones. And after moving away from Sony, I decided to buy a Samsung phone. It was a bit hard to find a phone that doesn't have a notch, because I think I've said before that I don't really use a front camera on my phone at all, so I don't really want to have a notch or a cutout camera just to take up space. And I got the Samsung Galaxy A8 2018, and this was in 2019, so I I was still trying to do the buy a phone a year later than when it comes out. It was a pretty decent mid-range phone. That was when I realized that there's 
not much point buying a high-end phone nowadays because the mid-range phones are perfectly usable. They are fast enough, the cameras are good enough, the screens are good enough. So I decided to always just go with the, the mid-range phones from then on. I decided I wanted to use it at least for two years, but that got cut a bit short. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, its screen died. I didn't really want to pay for another screen, so I went on a used marketplace and I managed to get my current phone, which is the LG G7, which I originally intended as a short-term emergency replacement phone, but it sounds so good that I think I want to use it as long as I can. I think Josh can also tell you a lot about using a, an LG phone with a, with a dedicated high-quality deck. And this is my first phone that has a notch on its screen. So I managed to avoid these notches for around four years since they first appeared. I still mainly use my phone for listening to music and podcasts and audiobooks. So I decided it, it was time to abandon my ideas of not using a phone with a notch. And that's where I am today. Has it still got a three and a half inch, uh, three and a half millimeter audio jack in it, or is it uh, Bluetooth? Yeah, because oh, you can only take advantage of the built-in deck via a, a, a jack. So I decided to give in to the notch, but I don't think I would want to give in to a phone that doesn't have a three point five millimeter jack. No, that's the advantage of the Nokia that I've just bought. That's got a three point five millimeter. All these phones that don't have the 3.5 millimeter jack, yes, they're very annoying, but uh, they're definitely not the first to do this. I mean, Apple was not the first to do that. Samsung was not the first to do that. The first one I can remember that I owned was the HTC Dash, which you had to have a, um, a, a mini USB adapter to hook up a 3.5 millimeter headphone on. Mm. I, I guess it makes sense for some phones to not have a jack because uh, some Things like wireless earbuds are getting more and more popular. Maybe if my ears weren't so sensitive, I would try those earbuds. But I really don't have any intentions to go back for to earphones. Maybe if I... I think this phone has uh, support for one of those uh, high-quality Bluetooth audio standards. So maybe I will try to get some Bluetooth headphones, but I'm perfectly okay with, with having to use wired headphones, both at home and on the go. I like the option of um, being able to hook up a headphone to my system that doesn't require a battery, that doesn't require me to have something else that's charged. So if my Bluetooth headset dies and I don't have anything else handy, I can grab something that's wired and just hook it up. So yeah, my phone is basically a very fancy music player with internet capabilities that I can sometimes use for making calls. Yeah, I do remember those uh, those candy bar phones that you were talking about right at the beginning with the controls on the side specifically for um, audio playback. Those were awesome at the time. Josh, how about you? Well, my initial foray into the world of smartphones were all lower tier devices, which were uh, using air quotes here, free with the signing of a contract. And usually those were of the two year variety. So, uh, you know, really not so free. Yeah, you usually paid for them about three times over with the extra charges. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, subsidized phones, yeah. Yeah, all of, uh, I think all of them were single core too, yeah. Um, and they were all terrible, and that's probably why I can't recall any of them specifically by name. I did get a phone at one point that had a dual core uh, CPU in it, and it just felt like, it felt like grease lightning compared to what I'd had prior, uh, but it still wasn't very good. I'd say my first real noteworthy smartphone was a Nexus 5, 
which uh, came out in 2013 and I got one in early 2014. And uh, I found it to be a really impressive device for its price point. I still have it today as a backup phone. As a matter of fact, it still functions, although it now runs Ubuntu Touch in place of Android. I've had to replace the battery on it once, and it does suffer from the all-too-common power button issue uh, that causes it to constantly reboot, uh, which is why I eventually moved on from it. But uh, still, probably one of my favorite devices of all time. You know, even if the build quality was a little bit shoddy in some spots, uh, it's been quite long-lived. It also had lineage on it at one point. From there, I decided I wanted to focus more on privacy, so I went through a number of flip and feature phones, only to find most of them ran stripped-down versions of Android, or I think I had one that ran KaiOS, which was the continuation of Firefox OS. But the lackluster performance was maddening, and just attempting to text, you know, caused the system to lag, and you'd have input delays, so uh, keys that you pressed hadn't shown yet, so you'd you'd press the key again, and then all of a sudden you'd have a screen full of jumbled mess in front of you, and yeah, it was, it was not fun. But there was a bit of nostalgia returning to T9 predictive text from the uh, earlier years of smartphones, <laughs> or feature phones, I should say. Have you tried the new version of the Nokia 3310? It came out, uh, I think, in the last 5 or 10 years. I think Nokia has really good software for current for their current uh, feature phones. Yeah, I haven't tried it. I did see that they'd released it, but yeah. It... I think it even has things like Google Assistant while not being Android itself. Or maybe it is a Watford version of Android, I'm not sure. That could be. So, after that, I decided to return back to the world of smartphones, and I purchased an LG V30 Plus off of eBay, and Norbert, as you were alluding to earlier, uh, it's primarily because of that LG Quad DAC that came in a series of their phones. Uh, I got it at a very reduced price to some, to some screen burn-in, but the phone was pristine outside of that, and it's still my daily driver today, even though the OS hasn't received a security update since August of 2019. It's still on Android 9. But the DAC is still considered by many to be uh, the one of the best, if not the best, put in a phone, which is why I'm reluctant to replace it. And uh, also, like Norbert, I use it mainly for listening to music, podcasts, audiobooks, and I just try to store as little personal data on it as possible with, you know, the security patch level being out of date. Yeah, so that's the current daily driver. And I also purchased a PinePhone UB Ports Edition when it came out, and I have an, a Sony Xperia X, and both of those run Ubuntu Touch. I did that with the hopes that one of them could serve as a privacy-focused daily driver. The Xperia is probably the closer of the two, well, undoubtedly the closer of the two, but you still have to sacrifice a fair amount of convenience, compared to Android, that is. And the Pine phone really remains little more than a developer's toy that cannot be daily driven under any realistic circumstances. Unfortunately, it seems like the reality of a capable Linux phone is still quite a ways off into the distance. The hardware is there. Unfortunately, the software is definitely not. 
and that's really the history of my phone usage. Can't really argue with that. Yeah, everything I've seen about Linux on a phone for purposes of using it as a phone doesn't seem to be there yet, and just a lack of development. I was just going to say, if you really, really do want to use an uh, Ubuntu Touch and you want to give the uh, UbiPorts developers a, a bit of support, go and bung them a few quid to help them develop some more software for it because uh, that's the only way they're going to get, you know, it's going to become a daily driver is if they get, you know, the resources to be able to develop software that will go on the phone. That's a great point, Tony, and I actually did that. I uh, joined their Patreon, and I was on there for a little while. I'm not donating currently, but uh, I do eventually plan to get back to giving them some money. I hope to. I, I think in terms of Linux on the phone, they're probably the closest to developing an operating system that's usable at this standpoint. So hopefully, hopefully they can get there sooner rather than later. Now, Paul just asked on the uh, the chat on YouTube, why would you want to use a Linux phone as a phone? And my response to that is you use it also as a phone, and it's so you don't have to carry multiple devices. And for privacy. Yeah, for privacy, absolutely. I think I saw that there was a study done showing that... Uh, uh, Android sends back something like 20 times the amount of data to Google than Apple. Uh, so that's uh, a little disconcerting. And uh, it should really wake us up and prod us into that direction, you know. Paul's answer is uh, fine, use it as a soft phone app and run your asterisk server. <laughs> it has its possibilities. One of the things I'd like to ask, uh, mainly for the listeners, maybe we can get some feedback on this, is what do you do with the retired phones that you've got? I have kids. Do you put them to any kind of use? Do you use them as video cameras? Do you use them like uh, we've talked about, use them as audio players, whatever? But it'd be interesting to know what the listeners uh, use their old phones for. Or do they use them as development machines to try out things like, uh, Ubuntu Touch and stuff like that. Me personally, I have used phones as like um, nodes for BT Sync. I have used them for um, security cameras. The problem with using phones as like security cameras or dedicated cameras or anything like that is that um, they're not made to run those cameras all the time. So, you know, you get a couple of days running under their belt and uh, bad things can happen. They can burn out pretty easy. Paul in the chat says, uh, give them to the kids, which is what you mentioned, Joe, or Wi-Fi cams. You can, you can use them as webcams, yeah? Yeah, I've used them in, conjun in conjunction with, I think it was called um, I IP cam, IP webcam. Yeah, I I've used that. And then you just use it as a, an IP cam to check on a specific area of the house or something. And it was useful. And um, I think with IP webcam, the nice thing about that is it only activates the webcam when you're actually looking at it, which is a good thing. So it's not on all the time. Um, now, with the um, LG V30 Plus... Uh, Josh, um, have you looked at XDA to see about updated ROMs? 
Yeah, and it looks like there's an unofficial lineage port up there for it, but I'm uh, always a little leery about unlocking the bootloader and going through the process. I'm not really <laughs> keen with phones. I have bricked phones in the past. I have as well. <laughs> yeah, the HTC HD2, because of the, the different versions that came out, it had a whole bunch of different radios. It, it was pretty easy to grab the wrong version of the radio and completely brick the device and not be able to do anything with it. So yeah, that, that happened at least once. Yeah, and if there's a wrong version out there, I'll find it. <laughs> I've got a BQ here, BQ5, that I bricked <laughs> while I was fooling around trying to flash it. <laughs> All right. If this wasn't my daily driver, I'd probably give it a try, but is it's, I, I still enjoy the phone too much to, to do that to it. <laughs> yeah, understandable. I'm also not sure if any of the custom ROMs for these LG phones support the, have the proper firmware for the deck itself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to look into that. I'm perfectly willing to use the factory ROM as long as I can have this audio experience. Same here. Norbert, what do you what do you use your old phones for? The ones that are decommissioned? But I think the Z Ultra is in the best condition, so this is my backup phone, which I thankfully didn't need for the past two years. Uh the SP is just it just hangs around at the bottom of the drawer because it's not really worth to use for anything. And the uh, the X-Compact is the one that I bricked by trying to flash it. Yeah, Paul, Paul in the chat saying he's turned an old tablet into a ham APRS node and for other ham tools. That's quite interesting. So the two small phones I can't really sell or throw away. I mean, I could throw them away, but why throw them away? And the Z Ultra is that I don't want to because I think this has been my favorite phone of the ones I've used. It's the most inconvenient. This is the one that I could never keep in my pocket. I always had to keep it in a bag, <laughs> but I really liked it because it it had so much screen estate. And it had a 1080p screen. Back then, when 1080p still counted as high-end, it came out in 2013. I bought it in 2015. It still works perfectly. It even outlived my tablet. So this is one of the better phones that Sony did. The beginning of the Xperia Z line. I think it came out along with, this, with the Xperia Z1, so it has the same hardware. I got attached to this phone. That is cool. Okay. I think it's time to move on. At least that's what Tony's telling me. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Vibrations from the Ether. And our first vibrations is from Brad Alexander. The Brad Alexander saga continues. Hey guys, regarding episode 371.5, I've never been a fan of GNOME. It's not just about wanting to control theming, but as I recall, they were loath to put knobs to adjust the desktop. Their attitude, and I believe they said this in a forum, was, you don't need settings. You just need to run it the way we provide it which is why I went with KDE. I would rather have too many knobs and switches with reasonable defaults than not enough. Well, I was just going to say, I agree with Brad with the proviso that anything above GNOME 2, I don't like. Uh, GNOME 2 was brilliant. I really love GNOME 2, and I like its spin-off, the uh, Mate desktop. But, uh, yeah, I can't live with GNOME 3 either. <laughs> Too much configuration. 
Yeah, I, I concur with all that. I think that I'd rather have uh, too many knobs as well rather than not enough. But uh, we know how gnome can be a little, you know, they can be a little stiff in their stance, I guess. It's perfect for my tablet where I don't need much customization to begin with. Because ironically, the default GNOME desktop is much more usable with a touchscreen than a mouse. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I'm looking at um, Ubuntu Touch with a very similar interface to the desktop environment on GNOME uh, 40. Um, I, uh, I I much prefer the <laughs> Ubuntu Touch uh, on the touchscreen. <laughs> Does Ubuntu Touch use a, a fork of uh, Unity? Or is it similar to Unity? Yeah, it was originally Unity 8, and now it's been renamed Lomiri. And they have it on uh, Manjaro, too. I believe there's a version with Lomiri. But it's that design ethos that works better on a touchscreen. But as for KDE, I've tried to use it a couple of times. Maybe the reason I didn't like it is that I didn't try to customize it enough, because I don't really... It could be that what I don't like is the breeze theme. After trying Garuda, the Dragonized edition of Garuda, I realized how much plasma can be customize to the point where it doesn't even resemble the plasma that I that threw me off at the beginning. I'm also hoping for more and more improved Valent support for plasma because because I really like Valent and if it gets to the point where it works with Valent as well as GNOME, who knows, maybe I will switch to plasma on my laptop. Okay, does somebody want to take Larry's? Do you want me to take that? Go for it. Yeah. Excuse me if I fluff because this is a long one. Uh, Larry Murphy says, Hi gang, I've heard Michael from Destination Linux and others talk so much about Plasma uh, desktop environment that I decided to try it out. I used KDE back in the day, uh, less than half of the goodies worked, (laughs) but what did was really nice. I downloaded every distro I could find with Plasma. I also wanted to try out Manjaro. I never liked Arch distro distros but that was quite a while ago and linux has changed so much Uh, i was really pleased with minjaro and kde but i had one problem my scanner didn't work Uh, i went to epson's uh, website and checked the driver downloads page what i found was uh, that they offered a deb and rpm packages only Uh, i figured that i could use my xp install in virtualbox the only problem was that uh, it didn't recognize my U- uh, USBs. Then I decided uh, I'd use any distro with either DEBS or RPM. I found that there was something about everyone that I didn't like or didn't work. I was about to give it up for a while until I noticed I'd never tried MX Linux. It worked great. The plasma wasn't polished; uh, wasn't as polished as Manjaro, but everything worked great. Uh, and there were still so many options in plasma; it'll take me years to get it all digested. I heard Ryan uh, that I, I heard Ryan that an MX in one of the earlier DNL shows that he uh, seemed to like a lot about it. If I like a distro well enough in virtual, uh, well enough in VirtualBox, I burn it to a live CD, and if I still liked it, I installed it. As I said, MX works great, but I really like Manjaro better, so I started researching about Manjaro because uh, I figured there must be a way to get the drivers for my scanner in Arch 
in an arch distro, and there was. I reinstalled Manjaro, went into the AUR, and that had a whole lot of Epson drivers, so I found what I needed, and now I have three distros that I like very much. I've been using all three. They all do what I want, but they're all there are some differences. Manjaro and MX handle audio much better than, uh, than Mint. Mint works well enough that I can use it, but Manjaro and MX does it even better. There are a few other things that I like as well as... Uh, but this email is long enough now. <laughs> Welcome to the new co-hosts. Diversity of one of Linux's strong suits, so I like the different viewpoints from all of you. Thanks for a very interesting and helpful show. P.S. Mint was the first distro that worked best for me and I always keep an install. As I said, I'm now using all three. As I said, I am now using all three. So that was quite... Anyone got any comments on that? (laughs) It's quite a long-winded one. I've used all three of those uh, distros, you know, Manjaro, Mint, MX, and all of... As of this time, I still run two of those, uh, MX and Mint. So, yeah. Yeah, the only one I haven't tried is Manjaro. I've never tried Manjaro. Oh, you haven't? Yeah. yeah. It's good. The scanner driver seems to be a fairly common issue across the board. It seems to come up quite a lot for people. Okay, and since this last one was directly to me, I'll just go ahead and take that. This is from William Wasley. Hi, Joe. On your most recent Midcast episode, you mentioned getting cloud drive syncing, e.g., Google Drive to work on Linux. I have been a user of Linux for over a decade, and while I did use the G Drive option built into GNOME, which Norbert mentioned, I have since settled on Mega.io, which works well for me on both Ubuntu and Mint and keeps my files in sync. It's the first thing I install on a new machine, and it holds copies of my .bashrc and .vimrc fs tab and other important files. It works on my Android phone and Windows VMs too, and also comes with a liberal liberal amount of free storage. Thanks. And yeah, I have not checked out Mega.io, and I will try and give that a look as soon as I can. Because I do still have some storage out there somewhere. It piqued my interest too. So uh, I wonder if it's just like G Drive or if there if it does like all of them. Or if it's its own thing. Looks like it might be its own thing. But yeah, that's cool. Okay, so per terabyte and month, 490. 1.56 per terabyte and month. It's interesting. Okay, thank you for that, William. And yeah, okay. I just just went to that web page, uh, and you can also get twenty gig of free storage. Which uh, uh, Dropbox's free storage used to be eight gig, I think, something like that. So, uh, uh, Google provides fifteen, right? Twenty five? Is it twenty? It's fifteen. Okay. Uh, I was looking for the free. I'm not seeing the free here. It's on the front page, uh, underneath the header. Ah, create a mega account to get 20 gig free. That's cool. Okay, and now we transition to check this out.
And first up in our check this out, it's Ferdy, all your apps in one place. Josh, I think you put these here? Yeah, I put this one in here. Um, now, I haven't given this a try personally, but uh, Ferdy advertises itself as a messaging browser that allows you to combine your favorite messaging services into one application. Oh, like Trinity. Yeah, it's open source. It's uh, cross-platform. And uh, yeah, I thought maybe if uh, somebody was looking for a tool for something like this, maybe they could give it a try. From what I understand, it's a fork of a program called Friends. So uh, yeah, give it a try and let us know what you think about it. And it says Discord, uh, Telegram, WhatsApp, and I don't know what that one is or that one. This looks interesting, though. Yeah, it seems to be fairly comprehensive. No, but I remember back in the day, Trinity was the go-to for like everybody for um, bringing together all your different messaging applications. It's just insane the number of messaging applications that I use every day. Right, you have all these clients running at all times. And uh, yeah, so something like this might help to just consolidate it all down for someone if they're looking to do that. And Norbert, was this one yours, the gesture improvements? I keep saying how much I like Vanilla Gnome, but it's not pure Vanilla Gnome that I use. Like I said, I like to keep the number of extensions to a minimum, but this one really caught my attention because what it does is multiple things. The most important one, at least for me, is that it implements the touchpad gestures that you would have in GNOME on Wayland to work on X11 as well. The GNOME devs could have implemented this if they wanted to, but I think they are trying to encourage people to move to Wayland, but it works just as flawlessly on Xorg, which is nice because uh, a few days ago I was in a Zoom call and I wasn't able to share my screen on Wayland, so I had to log into the Xorg session. So I might just... uh, keep the X session as my default, but this way with the extension, I don't have to give up on these nice gestures. Another thing it does, both in X and Wayland, it adds in extra gestures, because uh, the way you would go into the application view on GNOME is you would have to go into the overview with the swipe up, three, the three fingers up, and you would have to swipe up again to go into the application grid. But with the extra gestures, you can just swipe down with three fingers, I set it to be three fingers, which is default, but you can set also four fingers. It goes into the application grid immediately. And if you swipe up three fingers from there, it goes back to your desktop. So you can move between your desktop and the application grid without ever having to go into the overview mode. And it also has secondary uh, gestures. If I swipe up and down with four fingers, which I set it to be, set it to be four fingers, I can full screen an app. And so I can maximize it, resize it, and even make it full screen. So I think it's one of the most convenient extensions I've found so far, because right after the tray icons, I think this is the one second one that I would love to see implemented in GNOME itself the most. So if any of you are using GNOME, you should check this out because it's great. Okay, now on to the announcements. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, the 28th of November. And we do have a link to get it converted to your time zone. Same thing, the next live stream, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, the 20th of November. And we have the uh, converted to your time zone linked there as well. And in wrap up, I'm Joe. And if you want to hear more of me, I have a couple other podcasts. You can catch me at tllts.org. That's the Linux Link Tech Show or the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe. 
although I haven't been there much lately. Um, you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org, or I have a link for buying me a coffee. Tony? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Hacker Public Radio, host ID 338, if you want to go and listen to some of my old uh, musings on there. I'm on Twitter, TonyH1212, I'm TH at mintcast.org, and I'm on distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Norbert? You can write me an email at norbert.minkas.org. The other, other Josh? <laughs> well, you can find me at uh, jt at minkcast.org. Shoot me an email there if you'd like. I'm Josh Thacker on Discord and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. Which is still the greatest Twitter handle I've ever heard. Thank you, sir. And Nishant wasn't able to make it today. You can find him, Nishant at mintcast.org. Rykon Ghost at Instagram, Rykon Ghost at GitHub, Ghost.Rykon on Discord, Maverick00783 at Steam. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, and NitRD for the image, Discord or for the animated Discord logo, and Lunner for the time sync, Norbert for the audio editing, Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mincast.org and our backup Mumble server, Archive.org for hosting our audio files, HPR for, well, what was formerly our backup Mumble room, um, and the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Glenn! This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The New Just pretend you can hear the music. <laughs> <laughs>